Yo, what is going on? Another week, another episode of the Quarterly Report Podcast. Of course, I am your host, Armand Lee, thanking each and every one of you all for listening. And if this is the first time listening, man, you guys are in for an amazing show. This week, the NFL draft is fastly approaching, and so too is insanity among the NFL ranks. I once again tell you why the NFL is becoming their own worst enemy and why they fail to learn from past mistakes. Plus, my childhood is unraveling with each new news cycle. Some of you guys are right there along with me. Y'all know exactly what I'm talking about, but it goes deeper than that. We're going to discuss all of that and so much more. But first, our number one topic this week. First, I've long since believed that being a a sports fan was not healthy. It just isn't. As someone who only likes one team, I find myself doing things when the Knicks are good, and it hasn't happened much in my adult life. But I found myself doing things that when looking back on it, I'm just thinking, why on earth would I do? There have been multiple times in my life where I've I've sat down to myself in private moments and said, yo, Being a Knicks fan really brings nothing to your life. I love the NBA regardless if the Knicks played or not. The Knicks have been bad. So it's not as if the Knicks have just kind of flown kind of in like an average level. They've been historic. They've been laughably bad (laughs) with the exception of maybe two years since I've been 20. Okay. For a decade and a half, the New York Knicks have been a laughing stock, like tragically run, like an embarrassment, all type, any type of, any phrase that you want to throw to the Knicks, anything, any adjective that you want to use to describe, any, anything that you want to do to describe the New York Knicks, you cannot overshoot it. They've literally been that bad. So they haven't given me any reason to, it's not enjoyable to watch them. I like the Christmas NBA schedule when the Knicks don't play (laughs) because I don't have to ruin the holiday watching that misery on television in a room full of other people who didn't get to laugh at me. The New York Knicks do not bring any joy to my life for the majority of my life. Yet I still watch and I still love them and I have passed on that disease to my child. It doesn't make sense. There is no rational, there is no rational thought. There is nothing there from an intelligent person would not be able to look at that and say, yeah, that makes sense. Yet I continue to do it. So I've long wrestled with the idea that being a sports fan just doesn't make sense, right? If you're lucky, if you're lucky, you get to see what? Let's say three championships. If you're from Boston, you're extremely lucky. You know what I mean? But Boston is obviously not the, uh, that's not the average. So let's say you get five championships in your lifetime, no matter how many sports you want. Let's say you're a fan of three different teams. You get five championships. And I'm not talking about when you're like three years old and you can't really enjoy it. But like say 16 to, let's say 80 years old, right? You get five championships. Let's say that's the average and I don't think it is, but let's say so. So from 16 to 80, 
is 64 years. If you only get five championships in 64 years, the other 59 are spent in misery. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. Like when you step back and just kind of break down being a sports fan, we all, it's like we're all playing the lottery. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It just decades on decades and years and years of just throwing money away and you know you're not going to ever hit the jackpot. And if you do, you run through it super quick and then you're back to playing the lottery again. It's a fool's exercise, but we all are here. Myself included. I'm not pointing the finger. But I'm starting to even question sports fanhood even more so now in lieu of Bryce Harper's free agent discussion. And yes, I said Bryce Harper. And yes, in this first quarter, we're going to be talking about baseball. Ring the alarm. It probably will never happen again. First quarter, first segment of this show, I'm talking baseball. But not really just baseball because it's a larger issue. As you guys know, I live right outside of the D.C. area. Like, we're in the D.C. area right outside of D.C. And for months, months now, as soon as the season ended, really toward the end of the season when the national, when it was clear that the Nationals were not going to make the playoffs, and I thought it was pretty clear during the summer months that the Nats weren't going to make the playoffs. But when it was definite, like when they were like mathematically eliminated, every person, that I know who does like baseball or the people I don't know, but listen to on the radio, they were all coming to grips with like, you know what? The team should not offer Bryce Harper a 300 plus million dollar contract. It'll cripple the team. The team is okay already. We need to build this, that, and the third. And everyone is coming to grips with the fact that Bryce Harper wasn't going to come back. And for the last two to three months, when they taken calls on Bryce Harper, because Bryce Harper managed to extend his free agency until spring training, which is amazing to me. But all of the calls that I heard, all of the quote-unquote experts that I read or heard as well or saw, they would say, you know what? They don't need Bryce Harper. Signing Bryce Harper to a huge contract would be a mistake. That was the line. Time and time again, fans, hosts, experts saying that contract to Bryce Harper would cripple this team. Mind you, there's no salary cap in baseball. We're going to put a pin there, right? There's no salary cap in baseball, at least right now. So I don't really know how it would cripple a team, but whatever. So it seemed like everyone was in uniform, right? Monolithic approach on this. Bryce Harper at $300 million would be bad for the Nationals. And then... Ted Lerner comes on the radio not too long ago and says, yeah, we offered Bryce Harper a $300 million contract at the beginning of free agency. It's like, here, we'll give it to you. And what he did was shape the narrative. He got out in front, Bryce Harper, Scott Boris, we're not talking about it. Nobody was talking about Bryce Harper, at least that, at that level. And then Ted Lerner comes on, I believe it was Grant Danny's show on 106.7 The Fan, says that and that becomes news like boom okay the owner of the national said that he would actually pony up 300 million dollars for bryce harper even though everyone has said it would be bad it'll cripple the team the team doesn't need bryce harper but the fans consistently stayed on on point we don't want bryce harper we don't want bryce harper 
We don't want Bryce Harper at $300 million. He's hurt all the time. You know how it is. The spin. However, last Friday, I want to say it was, when Bryce Harper signs his $330 million contract to the Phillies, what happens? Everyone in D.C. loses their mind. All of these same Nationals fans that for months were telling me that they don't want Bryce Harper at $300 million are mad that he took $330 million to go to Philadelphia. Huh? How, how, someone make that make sense to me. If you're upset that Bryce Harper went to a division rival, say that. All these weeks, they could have said, you know what? I don't think Bryce Harper is worth the money here. And if he wants to get money in L.A. or Chicago or Houston or wherever, all these other teams that they were talking about, the Giants, bomb. Go ahead and do that. But I just don't want to see him in Philadelphia because that's a division rival. I very rarely heard that. I only heard we don't want Bryce Harper at $300 million because it would cripple our team. He got more than $300 million, and now all of a sudden he's public enemy number one. He was a free agent. That means he honored his contract. He was free to choose wherever he wants to play. That sounds so awful, doesn't it? Heaven forbid a player wants to choose where he lives and plays and gives him the best opportunity to win and maximize his earning potential. Raise your hand if you wouldn't want that. Like, in any other setting, we all would rock with that. If your coworker gets offered a job that may be a rival to you, but he gets a great contract, a contract that your current, you know, your current employer wouldn't offer him, we'd be like, dog, you did it. Salute to you. Let's do a party. You are buying because you got the bread. You hit the lick. I'm happy for you. If it's a coach, if it's a general manager, if it's your favorite uh, television actor, you know, anyone who has a contract, we rocking. If it's your favorite musical acts who changed record labels, it doesn't matter. We're like, salute. But when it comes to your sport team, we, we go nuts and lose logic. And an added point to this, is that that $300 million contract that Ted Lerner was so proud and was so quick to tell everyone about reportedly had a hundred million dollars deferred until Bryce Harper was, was 60. He's 26. That makes no sense. That was the alleged report. Mike Rizzo went on 106.7 The Fan earlier this week and said, yes, there was deferred money, but he didn't want to get into specifics. He did not deny that it was $100 million until Bryce Harper was 60. That would be the easiest thing to do. He just said, there was deferred money. I don't want to get into specifics. They shut that thing down. Barry's Verluga of the Washington Post is extremely reputable. He put his name on that. I absolutely believe that they tried to defer $100 million to Bryce Harper until he was 60 years old. That's nuts. And this is another issue that I have with, when it comes to the logic of sports fans. Don't get mad at the player if your owner is cheap. 
We got to stop doing that. I talked about in the, in the previous episodes where Wizards fans were somehow celebrating, or not Wizards fans, that's, excuse me, but Wizards writers in the area were celebrating that Ernie Grunfeld got the Wizards under the luxury tax. That doesn't help the team. I'm still waiting for someone to tell me why getting under the luxury tax is a good thing. Like, what? How does that help the team moving forward? How does that help this team become a contender? Because all it does is save Ted Leonsis money. I'm sick and tired of people shooting bail to owners. Just because you have a mi millions upon millions and in learners and Leonsis' case, they're both billionaires. Obviously, Ted Lerner is a He's got $5 billion. His family's worth $5 billion. The Forbes list of richest Americans came out earlier this week. And the Lerner family is worth $5 billion. So the idea that he wanted to defer money for Bryce Harper until he's 60 is nuts to me. You have the money. You didn't pay for your stadium. Don't get mad at Bryce Harper. Here's the thing. If the Nationals did not want to keep Bryce Harper, they could have traded him. The Orioles traded Manny Machado. I know Orioles fans. One of my close buddies is an Orioles fan. Shout out to my boy Ian. I haven't heard Ian say anything negative about Manny. Now, I will say this. Manny didn't talk slick about the Orioles and a little bit about Baltimore after being traded. Now, that's the difference. Bryce has never said anything negative about D.C. He hasn't done it. When Manny got traded, I didn't hear any Orioles fans that I know, and I'm not saying it didn't happen. I don't live in Baltimore. I don't listen to their sports radio, but I do know several Orioles fans. I didn't hear anyone in any of these Orioles fans that I know go out of their way to, to hate on Manny Machado and boom and all this other stuff to say they, he's a traitor, Benedict Art, all this stuff that I heard people say about Bryce. I didn't hear any of that directed toward Manny. Manny may get some flack because he talked slick once uh, he talked slick about the Orioles once he left. But Bryce hasn't done that. Bryce hasn't said anything about DC. And again, if the learners felt that they could not afford Bryce Harper, why wouldn't you trade him? Why would you? Why would if you have to defer a third of someone's contract until they're 60? I'm under the impression that you don't have the bread. And if you don't have the bread to resign it, everybody knew what Bryce was looking at. If you know you don't have the money to resign him, trade him, get some compensation. They didn't do that. They wanted to ride out with Bryce and then they offered him this crazy contract and tried to sh shake the narrative that, you know what, they did all they could. No, they didn't. You worth five billion with a B? You worth five bills, dog, and you off? You trying to defer money? To someone is 60 a 20 year old is 60 that's nuts just because you have money does not mean you have to own a team okay if you don't have the bread to own a team or if you're too cheap or you don't you don't want to spend money to own a team then don't do it but dog i'm so sick of hearing nats fans railing on bryce i don't even like baseball bro i don't like baseball i don't have any opinion about bryce harper I never felt moved to see a Nats game. I haven't spent a dollar on the Nats. I haven't gone to a Nats game on my own dime. I haven't bought any Nats, you know, jerseys. 
or posters or anything like that. I've only watched the Nats play baseball on television a handful of times. And the majority of those times was during the playoffs. So I have no tie, no connection to Bryce Harper other than I salute that man. He made the, whatever decision he felt was best for him and his family. He maximized his earning potential. And he went to a place that I'm assuming he wants to go. I don't understand the vitriol directed towards him, though, from D.C. national fans. I don't get it. Especially if you directed more of your anger towards Bryce than the owner. Someone make that make sense to me. You can't go from talking about this last year. These Nationals fans was swearing up and down about Bryce Harper. And now all of a sudden, he's hurt all the time. He's only really had one great year. He's not this future Hall of Fame. All of this stuff that people were arguing, they were saying that that was wrong. Now they're, they're taking those talking points. Stop it, Joe. This is one thing that I worry because I don't like this in terms of being a sports fan. And I worry that this irrational behavior may be coming back to me, right? We've all heard the rumors about the Knicks. I don't know what the Knicks is going to do this offseason. In fact, I'm probably, I'm more likely to think that they get one, not two, and definitely not the one that would change things. Like Kevin Durant is much greater than Kyrie Irving. I think we all understand that. I don't think that we're getting Kevin Durant. I like to, I'm allowing myself to have fun a little bit, but deep down, I wouldn't put any significant amount of money. I wouldn't put any money on that, period. But if it were to happen, I would be excited, but I would be worried because for so much of my adult life, I've been able to avoid and sidestep that type of irrational behavior. In fact, my same friend, my guy, Ian, frequent uh, guest on the show, he and I used to talk way back when about, you know what? I'm pretty good at breaking down the NBA except for the Knicks because I can't be rational when I'm talking about the Knicks because I'm too much of a fan. I am worried that I'm going to lose that if ever the Knicks get good. Now, more than likely, history tells us that the Knicks will never be good. But if it does happen, I'm a bit concerned because I don't want to be that. The same people two years ago who were talking about how Bryce Harper is a peer of Mike Trout and Bryce Harper is amazing, and this, that, and the third, and now saying that he's injury prone and he's overrated, and the contract's going to cripple the Phillies, and they can't wait until the Philly fans boo him and throw stuff at him, and all this other craziness. Christophs Porzingis was my favorite player for like the last four years. I didn't want the Knicks to resign Christophs at 150 some odd million dollars. So I was happy that they moved on and that they were able to get some type of compensation for him. But I want Kristaps to ball in Dallas. I'm looking forward to seeing him and Luca and whatever else Cuban can put together around that team and, and Rick Carlisle. I hope Kristaps plays well in Dallas, and I expect him to. I didn't want my favorite team to pay him. You see what I'm saying? Nets fans said that they thought a $300 million contract would cripple their favorite team for Bryce. So, bomb. If that was your logic, you should be happy that Bryce is going, that your team isn't going to be, quote-unquote, crippled by that contract. But that doesn't seem to be the case. That's irrational behavior. Again, I didn't want the Knicks to re-sign Chris Stapps at $150-some-odd million dollars. 
I don't think that that's a gamble too steep for me. But I hope that he plays well. He's going to go to Dallas. He's in a great situation. And I look forward to seeing him and Luca play moving forward. That's an exciting pairing. I'm not mad at Kristaps. I want Kristaps the ball. I still like his game. And I still think he has great potential. I just don't want it for my team. And that's it. I don't have any ill will toward him. Orioles fans, again, before Manny talked slick about the team, I didn't hear anything about Orioles fans talking about how they knew that Peter Angelos is cheap. I know Orioles fans hate their owner. They've been very clear about that. And this is what I'm talking about, about sports fanhood, man. It's nuts. This weekend, I make a factual statement about Otto Porter and how the Washington Wizards, right, their winning percentage drops significantly in games that Otto doesn't play. Relative to everyone else, the winning percentage when Otto doesn't play is much lower than the winning percentage when John doesn't play. You know? Or when Ubre or Keith or any other player. We don't know about Brad because Brad has been the NBA's Iron Man for the last two years. But again, when John doesn't play, the Wizards win at a higher percentage than they do when Otto doesn't play. That's all I said. For several years now, that has been a fact. That's not a shot at anybody. Everybody who knows me knows I like John Wall and I feel for him and bomb. Everybody who's ever heard me said that, you know what, I was super wrong about Brad. I have said that anytime I mention Bradley Bill's name, I always give people that amount. Like, yo, I was wrong about Brad. Bomb. All I did was say this one little note about Otto Porter and man, the number of people who jumped in my mentions just saying, Otto is trying, da 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 da. Otto, bro, chill out. I'm not saying anything about John. I didn't say anything about Brad. I didn't say anything about Brooks or Ernie or West Unsell. Nobody. I just made a, a factual statement. And so many people were offended by that. That's nuts. You feel me? I've never understood that logic. So many people were saying, yo, I don't like Otto. Otto is trash. Otto is this. Otto crippled our our team. Bong, bong, bong. Every, so many people who dislike Otto have been saying that for two full years. So the moment Otto left, you think that they would be cool. Like, if I got a girlfriend who is ruining my life and I'm out of that relationship, I'm not spending time thinking about her, even if it's negative. Because the same people who did not like Otto, when Otto's playing well in Chicago, they start throwing shots at him. Bro, you done. You good. Like if you hated your last job and you leave, don't spend your time talking about that job that you supposedly hated. You look nuts. But this is what I'm talking about when it comes to sports fanhood, man. I don't know what it does because all of these people I got to believe are intelligent, bright, well put together people. I know many of them are because I know them personally. I can't speak for everybody, but we can't. It can't just be all of these kind of just mindless people just roaming the earth like, uh, like, like this is the walking dead. But something happens. Something happens to us when it comes to sports that just, I don't know, man, a screw just comes loose. I'm not, and I'm not, and I'm talking about myself too, right? I'm talking about myself too. 
I was so irrational about my love for Iman Shumpert. I don't even know how that was possible, bro. It's laughable now. It was laughable then. I had friends who did laugh at me. But you couldn't tell me nothing about Shump. Just like you couldn't tell me anything about Jeremy Lin. I don't know what it is about being a sports fan, but bro, it's, it's nasty out here, Joe. People literally are mad at Bryce Harper for getting paid. Somebody please make that make sense to me. If you think you can, hit me up on email at quarterlyreport at gmail.com. Again, that's spelled Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E. -E -E, or tweet at me at quarterlyshow. Again, that's on Twitter. Quarterlyreport at gmail.com for the email. Quarterly show on Twitter. We do have stoppage time uh, coming up right before halftime. So, again, if you guys know, if you're a Nats fan, or maybe if you're not a Nats fan, if you're just a sports fan who thinks, you know what, Armand, you've got that all wrong. Please let me know. I'm curious. I want to hear how you guys wrap your head around being a sports fan but not letting it be making you irrational. All right? All right, guys. That's the first quarter, but second quarter time now, and we're heading to the gridiron for our second topic this week. Second it quarter. is cycle season in the NFL, so of course that means everyone is losing their damn minds as it pertains to the NFL draft and NFL free agency. Now, last week, you know, my cousin and I debated about Kyler Murray, and I was talking to you guys about, yo, Kyler Murray is an, is an interesting talent, and Kyler Murray is... Kyler Murray is a promising prospect who has a lot of talent and a lot of skills. And in today's NFL, right, where the rules are in a way where quarterbacks aren't touched nearly to the degree that they once were and definitely not to the, de the degree of all the other players on the field. The passing game is much more wide open. You can't really pressure receivers the way you can. Getting guys who are super athletic and are accurate and, you know, dynamic, cool, right? It's easier. I don't even like really saying that now, but I've heard former players and current players and coaches and evaluators say that it's easier to play quarterback in today's NFL than it has been in the entire history of the game. Bomb. But I also said, you know what? Kyler Murray would be a very good pick in the later. And I'm not talking about like fourth round. Second to third round, get you a Kyler Murray, get Kyler Murray to a team that already has some type of establishment, some type of foundation. I wouldn't draft Kyler Murray in the first round. Definitely not before like the, the, the mid to late 20s. Like if you want to trade up to get him from like the second round into the first, the late first, I have no issue with that. But of course, everybody ODs, and my cousin even said so, right? He was like, yo, I think Kyler Murray is a talent that you would gamble on, but I'm not saying you take him in the top 10. Well, just days later, everybody's raving about Kyler Murray, and some people are saying now that he's the top prospect in this draft or quarterback draft, and he may go in the top five. And it happens every single year. Every single – think of it. Unless you are the Patriots – and I don't even know. I think in, in let's say, Green Bay, right? Because it's been a while since Aaron Rodgers was drafted in, in the Saints. Every team has drafted the quarterback in the first round. And, and the Steelers, too, because Ben is a bit older. But you know what I'm saying. You look at every team, 
And outside of the established teams, the teams who have had a quarterback on their roster for over a decade or so, every team has drafted a quarterback in the first round. And yet every year we always say there are not that many good quarterbacks in the league. There's just not that many. Yet teams keep on doing it, and it's not that they do it. It's that they do it so early, and that teams move. They trade picks to move up. Baker Mayfield was the only quarterback, and I've said this several times now. He's the only quarterback, in my opinion, who was worth a first-round grade, a first-round pick. Now, Lamar Jackson did what I said, right? Second-round pick, a team that had a foundation. They moved up late in the first to get him, right? They moved out of the second, early second into the late first to get the quarterback that they want, but they had big holes already filled. Right, the Ravens defensively amazing. Their offensive line is fine. They have nice runners. The, the, the weakest, the weakest part of the Ravens team is their passing game. And Lamar Jackson at this point isn't a great passer, so they moved up. And you saw what happened last year. They utilized his skill. They built around his skill, which goes that coincides perfectly with what they already had. Their defense, right? So they make the game go by fast. They understand, you know, we can't win a shootout, but not too many teams can score on our defense. And that gave, they, that put them in the perfect position to be a legit threat in the playoffs. They made the playoffs for the first time in a few years. And you know what? Lamar didn't play well against the Chargers. We know that. But you have a nice starting foundation now. But taking Kyler Murray early in the first round to a team that was already bad, I don't understand the logic. I didn't understand when the Bears drafted Mitch Trubisky. I didn't get it. And I didn't get it when the Bills drafted Josh Allen. I didn't get it when the Cardinals drafted Josh Rosen. And now after one year, Josh Rosen's name is all around all these reports and rumors about possibly being traded. After one season. And this is precisely my point. You drafted Josh Rosen in the top 10, and now you're going to move him. And another team is going to trade a second or a third round pick to get him. The local team in D.C. Are, is one team who has been rumored to get or been interested in Josh Rosen. And I don't understand it. Burgundy go last season traded for Alex Smith to kind of save face after, let it, after making the correct decision, mind you. Washington knew that they weren't going to re-sign Kirk Cousins. They should have traded him, similar to what I said about Bryce Harper. They should have traded him a year earlier, the offseason earlier, but they didn't. I don't know why, but they didn't. They held on to Kirk. They didn't decide to pay him that much money, and then they made a trade for Alex Smith. That was smart. They then gave Alex Smith a long-term contract or an extension, and that's where they messed up. Unfortunately, we all know, we've all seen the play now. Alex Smith had a tragic injury, and we don't even know if he, he's not going to play this season. We don't know if he's ever going to play football again, right? So Washington is now in a position where they've got a lot of money tied into a position or to a player who's not going to be able to play this season, may not be able to play for the rest of his contract. So they need a a cheap alternative, but an alternative that can be successful and an alternative that can get fans excited. 
Now, this is for a topic for another day. And no matter the sport, teams and writers and analysts, they get caught up in, we need a marquee player. We need a player who a big-time player. We need a big-time name to get fans interested. And countless studies have shown this time and time again, no matter the sport, fans care more about winning than they do the big name on the marquee. The Indiana Pacers' attendance and television ratings are higher than it's been two years ago when they had Paul George, right? The Pacers' ratings and attendance is much higher now without the superstar player than it was two years ago. And I'll ask you one question. Why do you think that is? And we all know it's because now they have a superstar or not. I'm sorry. It's not that they have a superstar. It's because now they're winning. Last few years, Paul George was in Indiana. They were a seven or an eight seed. Last year, they were a five seed. This year, they're fighting for number three. That's nuts. Fans don't fans care about winning more than anything else. Doesn't matter the sport, doesn't matter the context. Winning matters, period. But Washington now, they're in the idea. They, they don't believe in that. So they're like, yo, we need to get a top flight, big time name. And Josh Rosen went to UCLA and it was a first round pick just last year. And I'm just thinking to myself, man, how many teams will it take before someone's like, you know what? I'm not going to OD. Two years ago, everyone was talking about how great the quarterback class was last year. Everyone was talking about last year's quarterback class was elite. And it was going to be much better than the following year's class, this year's class. And now, right, so all this upcoming, this past season, everybody was like, really, it's just Dwayne Haskins. Dwayne Haskins is the one guy who has first-round talent. There are concerns there, but in terms of accuracy, he's the most accurate. He's the size. He's the build. Big-time school. He's really the only quarterback to be looked upon. And just like every other year, now you got Locke, you got Murray, you got Haskins, and now people are talking about trading for Rosen. When last year people said that last year's class was significantly better than this year's class. So what happened? You want to know what happened? Desperation. NFL GMs are like people who are bad with money after tax day. When they get their return, they just don't know how to save. They don't know how to handle money. So you get that tax return, and the first thing they do is buy a 63-inch. You know, they just get money to spend it. NFL teams just can't help themselves when it comes to quarterbacks. Every single year, there are multiple quarterbacks taken atop the first round of drafts and it happens at some point right if there were that many quarterbacks worth first round picks the teams would then stop drafting quarterbacks because everybody would have the quarterback that they want but the problem is there are only a few and the the few quarterbacks who are good are those same ones that were good five years ago right it's the same guys now you've got you know, there are a few a few newer ones, right? Because Andrew Luck and the Russell Wilsons, right? And the Cam Newtons. So, and even with Cam, you can't really say that because the owner in Carolina was like, yo, we may have to draft the quarterback because Cam is hurt all the time. They're putting out the flyers like, bro, 
Writing may be on the wall for Cam, but then they're going to be in a constant cycle of trying to find the next quarterback. Instead of building the team and then when you're ready, don't chase the quarterback. If the quarterback presents itself to you, you make your move. But if you're always just chasing the quarterback just because it's a quarterback, you're falling in love with the position, not the player, you're going to be in a constant state of chasing. And that's why so many teams are bad consistently. It's because they don't want to build the, the lines. They don't want to build the middle of their defense. They don't want to build their offensive line. They don't want to get in the running game because apparently the running game is gone. It doesn't matter. It's not important. They just need a quarterback. You need a quarterback. It's, like you're, it's a fix. So it comes as no surprise that a oh, few days after I said I wouldn't draft, I wouldn't view Kyler Murray as a first-round pick at quarterback. People are saying that Kyler Murray is rising atop the list, top five players to be selected in the NFL draft. And now Josh Rosen, a top 10 pick last year, or a top 15 pick last year, is now potentially on the move. That's all, all of that is nuts to me, but it's consistent with what the NFL does. Which is why March 6, 2019, the seventh, whatever day it is that you're listening to me, I think the New England Patriots are going to be at least in the AFC Championship game again, if not in the Super Bowl again. Because they're the only team who has consistently showed not that they have the greatest coach or the greatest quarterback ever, but they have the most amount of discipline ever. And in the NFL, to me, that's the best attribute any organization can have. All right, guys, you heard the horn. That means it is halftime. But before we get to halftime this week, I said it earlier, we do have some stoppage time before halftime this week. And stoppage time this week is from one tweeter. Is that even a way? So one tweet, okay, from Miles Jesus Shuttlesworth. Um, He says he's from Hartford, Connecticut, right? And so shout out to you, Miles. I think it's Miles. Um, I'm assuming you're a Celtics fan. And, well, yeah, you're a Celtics fan. He says, last year you talked about the Celtics trying to move on from Gordon Hayward. Do you think he's overrated? All right, so I'm glad you put this up, man, because it is it is funny. Last year, um, it was right after Hayward's injury. I was like, the Celtics need to think about trading Gordon Hayward. And I was met with a... You know, a lot of, you know, skepticism about that. It's like, nah, man, Gordon Hayward's too good. You can't trade him. And you got to, you know, you have him there. You have a legit chance. And it's funny what happened, right? Uh, Gordon Hayward played amazing against the Golden State Warriors the other day. But just a few days prior, people were talking about how he's this awful basketball player. And, And I've long since felt that your reaction to Gordon Hayward and his struggles are pretty much going to be aligned with how well you thought he was or how great you thought he was before he signed in Boston. So what do I mean when I say that? What I mean is if you thought when Boston signed Gordon Hayward that they were signing a truly elite player, then it's going to it's going to skew how you view what you see from him now, right? Because if you think obviously anybody, any rational thinking person would be like, okay, you know what? 
he tore his ankle all apart last year. It's going to take some time for him to bounce back. But if you thought Gordon Hayward was a true elite player, and then you see him struggle this season consistently, you're going to be like, okay, your doubts about his game are going to be much higher than if you're like me, someone who thought Gordon Hayward is a good player. I think Gordon Hayward is a good player, and I think he will be a good player. Again, he had an awful injury just last year. It's going to take time. But I never thought of Gordon Hayward as an elite, great player. Gordon Hayward had one great season throughout his entire career, and that was in his contract year. His last year in Utah, he had one great season, and he capitalized. Salute to him. I'm not mad at him. But if you look at him the way I look at him, a good player, an above-average player, who then got hurt and his drop-off in production dropped, but it isn't nearly the big as big of a drop as you would think if it's someone who was elite. Like Hayward was never elite. He had a, an elite season, but he was not an elite player. And I think that's important because if you view Gordon Hayward as an elite player who has now struggled, then you're going to be much more disappointed than someone like myself who thinks, you know what, it's just going to take him time. But this this idea of great Gordon Hayward doesn't exist. I don't think that many people who feel that way about Gordon Hayward watched a lot of Utah Jazz basketball games the previous three, four seasons, you know? So I think Gordon Hayward is a good player. Um, there are going to be moments where he can play like that. I don't think you can rely on him to do that consistently this postseason but anything he gives you that even resembles that is gravy because i do think next season you'll get a better version of gordon hayward and there may be more opportunities for him to flourish offensively because of whatever may happen in boston all right so miles jesus shuttlesworth man appreciate you guys and everyone else who listens to the pod thank you if you have questions again i haven't talked about gordon hayward in over a year so anything that you want to talk to me about anything that you want to hear kind of my ideas or my feelings on, tweet at me at quarterly show or email me at quarterly report at gmail.com. Again, we spell quarterly here, Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E. All right, guys, so it's time for halftime now. And man, when it comes to halftime this week, I've been influenced. I am amazed, okay? I have been amazed at LeBron, and how he has been able to float over the criticism in large part this season. A lot of people are coming at him, and they should. As a LeBron fan, dog, he needs to get he needs to be crit- criticized because I'm not certain he's focused on winning this year. Obviously, he wants to win, and LeBron is still playing well, but he's not playing great the way we expect him to, and he's doing all this other stuff that doesn't involve the NBA or the Lakers. And it is costing his team victories. We are seeing LeBron James decline in real time. But it's hard to shoot him bail when on HBO he's got the barbershop. Just like it's hard to shoot Kevin Durant any bail when he plays poorly because he's got the boardroom. And Jada Pickett-Smith has... Red Table Talk. And all week long, everyone's been talking about one of those three because so many different topics about these, you know, big-time names or scandalous situations have been talked about ad nauseum on the barbershop or the boardroom or Red Table Talk. So, you know, me, 
I take the temperature of the room and I'm like, hold on, Slim. I can do that. I can't talk to AB or Anthony Davis. I don't want to talk to the, you know, Kylie, the Jenner girl's homegirl. I'd be, I'd be cool to talk to KD, but that's just going to be tampering. You know, my, at this point, I don't have the cachet to pull some of this stuff off. Not nearly to the degree that LeBron does. So instead of having the barbershop, I'm going to have the laundromat. Yeah, that's right. The laundromat where I'm not talking to the biggest names in sports and entertainment. Nope. I'm talking to the Bamas who washed up. And when you washed up, you got to go to the laundromat. Check it out. You've been to the barbershop and you've even sat at the red table. But now, to really find out how to clean up your mess, it's time to have a seat in the laundromat. This week's guests include Johnny Manziel. Man, how the f did I get kicked out of the Canadian Football League? Do they know who I am? I'm Johnny Football, baby. Man, call Drake. Luke Walton. Hello, Dad. They're gonna fire me, aren't they? Damn, LeBron. Yeah, they just pulled off. I'm not even on the bus. Can I at least hitch a ride to your house? Toke up with you for old time's sake. And the winner of the masked singer, T-Pain. Can I please borrow some fabric softener? The Laundromat, streaming now worldwide. That's right. The Laundromat, Joe. Me, T-Pain, Johnny Manziel, Luke Walton, Slim. I feel for Luke. Y'all know how much I love his dad. I feel for Luke. Luke is going to bounce back. He'll get another opportunity. But, man, when they left the, 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 the arena a few weeks ago without him on the bus, man, he, I know he called his agent. It was like, yo, let's, let, let's see what other openings are, are coming around the, the corner. I'm sure he'll get an assistant job back at Golden State, Steve Kerr, if, if he wants it. You know, Steve Kerr seems like a cool, solid guy. But yeah, man, writing's on the wall for Luke. As far as Johnny Manziel, slim. I mean, <laughs> dog, I, I don't know how they're going to roll out the XFL, but you know good and damn well Johnny Manziel is going to be a part of that, man. They're going to have the pyro. He'll come out to the all. I, I want Johnny Manziel to run onto the field with Ultimate Warriors music, God Bless the Dead, and his face painted. Go all out with it, man. Just embrace it. Be the heel that everybody already thinks you to be. And T-Pain, man, I don't know what the hell to say about that. All right, y'all, that was halftime. We had a little fun, but we're going to keep the show moving as we step into the squared circle, not for wrestling, but for boxing. It's our third topic this week. In a little over a week. I cannot wait to see this fight, man. It's going to dominate my Saturday evening. You know, my daughter does not like boxing, so I'm going to have to figure out something. Because March 16th, two of the best fighters in the world are stepping inside the square circle. And Big D in Jerry World, as Errol Spence Jr. and Mikey Garcia fight in, a, in, a, in, a, in an incredibly compelling fight. And I am extremely intrigued and excited about this entire ordeal it's going to be fox pbc hopefully they use the showtime pbc announcers because chris myers does not need to be anywhere near the call of this fight 
But for those of you who are not big-time boxing fans, this fight is extremely exciting and intriguing because not only are you talking about two of the best fighters in the world, in Errol Spence Jr., Mikey Garcia, but all of the kind of insulary, like, surrounding, you know, bullet points about this fight that, in my opinion, they're completely fascinating. Mikey Garcia is stepping up several weight classes to fight one of the best fighters in the world, in Errol Spence. Errol Spence is a big welterweight. He's got power that goes far beyond 147. In my opinion, Errol is the best. He's the second or third best fighter in the world, depending on how you want to view Usyk. Um, but since Usyk is moving up in the heavyweight division, we don't know what he's going to do at a heavyweight size. I go Lomachenko number one, Spence number two. And there are a lot of reasons why I view Spence and rate Spence so high. His performance in the ring speaks for itself, right? And we'll get to his performances, especially his last three fights. But also, the amount of ducking and dodging everyone in his division, what they have consistently done for like five years. Sean Porter calls out everybody. Everybody. Sean Porter fights in a, an aggressive kind of bull, a bulldog, like a Rottweiler pit bull type fight. Just so aggressive, it's ugly, and you know you're going to feel, win or lose, your body, is, your body will let you know how much of a fight you were in. Sean Porter does not want anything when it comes to Errol Spence. Danny Garcia has been talking. And, and again, Sean Porter is an amazing fighter. Danny Garcia is an amazing fighter. Danny Garcia, just a, hand, a few years ago, was among the top, pro, not prospects, the top fighters. Glamour fighter, glamour weight class, and successful. Arrow has been trying to fight Danny Garcia almost since before my daughter was born. It's been a lot as an exaggeration, but it's been a very long time. Danny Garcia is in the land of the lost right now. He has let his his position in the one for in the welterweight junior welterweight division slip in part because he has avoided Errol Spence. And then we know about Keith Thurman. Look, man, again, one time an exciting fighter. He's all the potential in the world when he's on television. He he rates he rates extremely high. Doesn't matter if he's on Showtime, doesn't matter if he's on CBS, ESPN, Fox. When Keith Thurman fights, he has an audience. And yes, he has, you know, had the bad luck, the misfortune of injuries. But anyone who's been paying attention knows that Keith Thurman wants no part of Errol Spence. Anytime his name, it's like you call out Candyman. Keith Thurman runs to the light, turns the light on. Gets the Windex, clean the mirror, you know. You, you don't do Bloody Mary around Keith Thurman. And in Keith Thurman's case, Bloody Mary is Errol Spence. He wants no smoke. We're talking about three of the best fighters, two champions in the 147 weight class, and none of them want any part of Errol Spence. So what does Mikey Garcia do? Mikey Garcia, and there are fights to be had for Mikey. I think we all want even more exciting than Spence Garcia, significantly more exciting than Spence Garcia, would be Garcia Lomachenko. 
That's the fight that everybody wants. That's the fight that makes sense. That's the fight of two of the better fighters in the world at a, a, at a reasonable class, reasonable size, speed, everything. I give Mikey Garcia all of the credit in the world. Because make no mistake, if Mikey Garcia moves up and beats Errol Spence, I don't want to hear anything. And I love Lomachenko. I love Vasily Lomachenko is one of my favorite athletes in the world. But if Mikey Garcia beats Errol Spence in his hometown on his debut pay-per-view fight, moving up several weight classes to do it, Mikey Garcia is the number one pound-for-pound fighter, period, end of discussion. I don't want to hear it because Lomachenko hasn't fought anybody like Errol. That's how high I vote Errol or rate Errol. That's how high I think everyone should rate Errol. And the fact that Mikey Garcia is doing something that Sean Porter doesn't want to do, Keith Thurman doesn't want to do, Danny Garcia, all of these quote-unquote glamour fighters, top fighters, have gone out of their way to avoid Spence. Mikey is running toward him. I give Mikey Garcia all the respect and credit in the world. That being said, it is an old saying, an old adage. There are weight divisions for a reason. Mikey Garcia has got all, man, the, the 42, you know what I'm saying? The you-know-whats, the cojones. Shout out to Mikey because he's stepping in there with the bull, a lion. But there are weight divisions for a reason, and Mikey could get hurt. And I'm not saying this just to, you know, this isn't hyper, hyperbole. You understand what I'm saying? I'm being real. We're not that far removed from Kell Brook moving up two weight classes to fight Gennady Golovkin. You don't have to be a diehard boxing fan to know about Triple G and his power. Gennady Golovkin at the middleweight division. Kell Brooks was a welterweight. Kell moved up to middleweight, got his eye socket dislocated by Golovkin. <laughs> okay? That's scary enough. You want to know what else is scary? The... What, two fights later, Kel moves back down to welterweight and fights Errol Spence. And guess what Errol Spence does to the other eye socket? You guessed it. He dislocated it. Gennady Golovkin is one of the most powerful punchers in the entire sport and is a bigger man, bigger fighter than Errol Spence. What Gennady Golovkin did to Kel Brook's eye, Kel Brook moving up in weight, Errol Spence did the same thing to his other eye when Kale was fighting at his natural size at that time. That should scare everybody, bro. If Errol is packing the same power that Golovkin is packing, but at doing it at 15 pounds lighter, bruh. You understand what I'm saying? This, and Mikey's got, this is the thing. They're, Big time fights for Mikey. Huge fights for Mikey. You step in there with somebody who's packing a punch like that in your first fight that at that weight. There's just I don't see a I don't see any positive outcome for Mikey Garcia. And I'm speaking as someone who loves Mikey Garcia. I think Mikey versus Lomachenko could be the biggest fight of whatever year that is made. Right. If you were to line up all the super fights, the potential super fights in the sport, 
right? However you want to break it down. If you want to say Joshua Wilder, Joshua uh, Fury, you sick Wilder, it doesn't matter. You sick Joshua, however you want to break it down. If you want to do Bud Spence or, you know, Spence Keith, and just go down the list, all the top fighters. In my opinion, there is no fight more intriguing, more interesting, no fight that I want to see more than Lomachenko and Mikey Garcia. I have no confidence that it will happen. But that is, in my opinion, the dream of all dream fights. And Mikey Garcia is putting that, that potential showdown, showcase, and his entire future in jeopardy because he's got too much guts. How nuts is that in a sport where everything is political, where everybody's looking to preserve their zero in their lost column, while everybody's trying to do the, the least amount for the most amount of gain and profit and benefit. Mikey Garcia is the one guy's like, dog, whatever. I'll jump in the lion's den. I'll move up two weight classes and fight someone who may be the best fighter in the world. I'll do it. With all of this on the line. His brother is trying to tell him not to do it. His father's trying to tell him not to do it. Straight. Everybody in his corner is like, come on, Slim. Let's at least get a tune-up before we step into Errol Spence. Because that's how nice Spence is. But that's how nice Mikey is. And what, and what Mikey has internally is what I wish he could just share to the entire sport because everybody else is avoiding the fights that they should take. Mikey is going out of his way to take fights that no one, there's, there was no demand for Mikey Garcia for Errol Spence. There's no demand for that. If Mikey Garcia just goes 12 rounds, dog, tip of the cap. And then I'm looking at Keith and I'm looking at, you know, Danny and Sean, you know, Sean Porter's called Showtime, right? That's his nickname. Nah, 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 nah. If Mikey Garcia goes 12 rounds with Spence, we ain't calling him Showtime no more. Slim, he the movie channel. You feel me? You Cinemax. Ain't nothing to see on that joint. It's over for you. You ain't Showtime, bro. You ain't worth billions. <laughs> you know, people actually want to see the Teddy Pendergast grass documentary. People want to see billions. If Sean Porter... Is sitting at home and sees Mikey Garcia go 12 rounds with Spence. I'm done with the Showtime nickname. It's over. Danny, his nickname is Swift. Nah, Slim, you slow as hell. Slow as hell. I, I'm not trying to hear it. And Keith, one time? Nah, bruh. We calling you the feds. That's, we calling you 5-0. I don't want to hear it. Because Mikey is stepping up to the plate and doing something that Arrow has been asking the other top welterweights to do for over five years now. That's not an exaggeration. Five years now. He's been knocking on doors, calling people out, and everybody keeps avoiding it. Like he's the Jehovah's Witness. Looking through the blinds and turning off the TV and being real quiet. Because they don't want to answer it. I have no expectation of Mikey Garcia to win this fight. And I'm a huge Mikey Garcia fan. But even in a loss, my respect for Mikey goes through the roof. And damn it, I can't wait. If you are a boxing fan, and maybe if you're not one, man, let me know your thoughts on the fight. Again, 
It's not this weekend, it's next weekend, but I'm so excited. I wanted to, to discuss all the ramifications about it this week. So hit me up on Twitter at Quarterly Show or email me at quarterlyreport at gmail.com to let me know your thoughts on Mikey Garcia. Do you think that Mikey can win this fight? Me and my homeboys were talking this past week. Two of us, we don't think that Mike, we don't think Mikey's going to go the distance. A few of my homeboys do. I want to know, boxing fans, do you think Mikey is going to win? And number two, do you think Mikey even goes the distance? I want to hear your thoughts on that as well. All right, guys, three quarters are down. So, of course, that means we are down to our last quarter. So let's finish up strong with our fourth topic this week. Fourth quarter. At the beginning of the show, I teased my childhood is starting to crumble in real time. And damn it, I, I honestly don't know what else to say right now. I've been wrestling with this all week long, kind of trying to get my words and my ideas together before I sit in front of this microphone and discuss this last topic. But, you know, I feel like Jay-Z on the blueprint, you know what I'm saying? Heart of the city. You know, first the fat boys break up and every day I wake up, somebody's got something to say. Somebody got a problem with Ho. Slim. Not only is Bill Cosby a dirtbag, but Michael Jackson? Oh, dog, Mike. Slim, first off, before I even get started, if something happened to, damn it, if something happened to Balky, you know what I'm saying? I don't know what I'm going to do. Dog, if something happened to Balky or, you know, Alf or whoever was voicing Alf, you know what I'm talking about? I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know what I'm going to do because this is nuts, Slim. This is nuts. Thank God for Regina King, you know, 227. We got something that I can like, yo, at least I got this. Because watching Leaving Neverland, oh, that joint was, that was a tough watch. And look, I don't. I'm not going to tell anybody what y'all should or should not believe. The documentary did not provide any type of evidence. It didn't provide any type of in-depth, you know, investigative journalism. It wasn't like surviving R. Kelly a few weeks earlier. But it's, I don't believe in coincidence, as I have said several times on this show. But I don't think it's, it, it wasn't lost upon me that just a few days after the finale of Leaving Netherlands, Neverland, R. Kelly's bum ass is back in the news doing his interview, right? And I just don't believe in coincidence. And it's just, it's starking. It's stark. It's stark in how, in how there are similarities between both individuals. And it was nuts that R. Kelly, how they kind of tossed in, you know, you are not alone in the surviving R. Kelly documentary where R. Kelly is writing songs for Michael Jackson. You understand what I'm saying? Look, let's let's just do this. If you are taking the position, and again, I am not trying to convince anybody one way or the other. You got to live and view how you view things. And if this compelled you to believe them or even, you know, take a harder stance and believe in Mike, bomb. Go ahead. Live your life. It's cool, right? But one thing that we cannot deny 
it is completely inappropriate for an adult man to be sleeping in a bed with children. Like, but that's it. Period. That is predatory behavior. An adult sleeping with children. Forget about if there was any molestation. Forget about if there was any pedophilia, any sexual encounters, sexual acts. If you are a parent listening to my voice, would you have Drake sleep in the bed with your child? Or whomever the biggest musician that is going on right now, right? Toby Keith, if you like country, you understand? I don't even know like who the biggest rock act is. I wouldn't have anyone. That's not my daughter's mother or myself or if, you know, her grandmother, somebody like, you know what I mean? Someone closely related, someone who, if my daughter has a nightmare, she just runs into the bedroom to sleep to feel comfort. Bong. I'm not having my coat. I'm not even someone who I'm cool with. Somebody who goes to my church or someone who I'm cool with. My cousin, he has a little girl. I wouldn't let her sleep in my bed. Come on, my daughter, her closest cousin, right? Like my daughter's mom's, my daughter's closest cousin, like close in age, okay? They always have sleepovers over the house, right? Have them over all the time. They're like, they're legit like best friends. When they co when, when he comes over, when her, my daughter's cousin comes over, I pull out the sleeping bags, you know what I'm saying? And let them sleep down in the basement, watch, you know, have fun, do their thing. We got like little ice hockey and some little games down here and they can have fun and you know i lay down on, on the first floor just so i'm closer i'm not in the upstairs bedrooms and you know just to make sure i can keep an ear out but if i was in my bed and my daughter's cousin right had a nightmare i wouldn't let them sleep in my bed you know what i mean because though he's my daughter's cousin he's not that close relative to me you understand what i'm saying does that make sense? Like, you can care about a child. Like, we could, ha I could pull out my own sleeping bag and I'll sleep next to them to make sure that they're okay. But there is a line of what is and what isn't appropriate when it comes to children, when you are an adult. And yes, I understand Michael Jackson's childhood was nuts. I understand that there may or may not have been some abuse towards him when he was a child. And I get all of that. But I'm not shooting him bail like he wasn't still an adult. Michael Jackson, in one of his last kind of television interviews or documentaries before he passed, he admitted. He was like, there's no better, bigger love that you can have than having someone sleep in your bed. So he admits to having children sleep in his bed. And he admits that he doesn't see anything wrong with it. So just on the face of that, just on the strength. That's nuts, man. That's nuts. Now, if you want to look at the two people that the documentary was about and say, you know what, there are question marks, there are questions surrounding how legitimate of a, you know, their allegations are. Okay. I'm, I get that. But the people who defend Michael Jackson the most, the most vehement, the most, the strongest, right? Defenders of MJ. They say the same stuff that the that R. Kelly says, right? It's the same stuff. Oh, well, Michael Jackson, they took him to court and the, you know, they, they didn't win. He had his day in court and he didn't win. 
R. Kelly can say the same thing. Oh, well, you know, these people, they just want money. They're just trying to get his money. They just want MJ's money. Guess what? R. Kelly can say the same thing. Oh, well, Macaulay Culkin and Corey Feldman and all these other people, they said that they were never touched. They, Gail King just had an interview with two women who said that they weren't abused by R. Kelly, too. And look, let me make this perfectly clear. R. Kelly is trash. I know it. He's a pedophile. But you can't come up with the same excuses that the pedophile is saying and defending Michael Jackson if you don't think that he, too, was a pedophile. That's nuts. You know, we've all kind of have been forced to sit and and live with the reality, the, the, the awful reality of abuse and domestic violence and, and physical violence and sexual violence. If you're a sports fan, because of the frequently, the frequency of these cases regarding in the NFL. You know, the NFL, every year there's something like this, more and more and over. And because of that, unfortunately, we have all had to, I think the responsible thing is to come to grips with how, you know, domestic violence of any type, domestic abuse of any type, how it manifests itself. And some of the signs, right? Because again, in our, if you're a sports fan, the biggest sport in this country has dealt with this seemingly every year for the last five, six years. And so many times you hear people say, you know, with victims, they will often lie, right? They won't necessarily become, be truthful when it comes to, um, their, 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 um, their abusers. Right there, oftentimes they won't be forthcoming. They won't be honest initially because it's a lot to deal with. And so many people who have defended Michael Jackson over the last few days have been the same people who understand this because when it comes to Greg Hardy or when it came to Ray Rice, they were saying the same thing. Like, oh no, just because this person said something now and it was completely again 180 from what they said earlier, that doesn't mean anything because it takes a long time for victims of abuse to, to deal with it. And a lot of times, victims of abuse truly have deep love or deep feelings for their abusers. But for whatever reason, when it comes to Mike, people forget that. Like, they will say all these things when it comes to Reuben Foster or Greg Hardy or Ben Roethlisberger or you name it. But when it comes to Mike, they pretend like they don't know this. And I said Ruben Foster for a reason, because when Washington first traded for him, I was one of the first people on this platform to say how trash they were for doing that and how I thought he was guilty. Now, since then, there has been more evidence or I guess there have been more, I guess, information to. To be uncovered, right? that makes whatever happened between those two adults a little bit less certain. So I, I apologize, right? Because I was too quick to make a, my position known without knowing all of the information, with all, without knowing all of the facts. Ruben Foster may have not, he may not have been guilty of what he was accused of, right? We don't know. But I was wrong for coming down so quickly, so harshly. But that's kind of the point. So many people are so 
you know, against changing their minds upon more information. When I was young, when this stuff was going on with Mike, I didn't really know all the stuff. I wasn't reading the, the FBI documents. I wasn't knowing, listening to the, the testimonies. You know, I was just like, all right, man, you know, it, it didn't happen. And then one of the best, well, I, the documentary itself didn't, didn't put out this information, right? It was more or less a kind of a testimonial, right, of these two men and their personal accounts of their relationships with Michael Jackson. You can take it however you want to. But one thing that the documentary did do now that I'm in now that I'm a 36 year old man, it did force me to then look back at some of the other information that came across. So, yeah, Wade Robinson, he changed his tune. He wanted to be a director of one of Michael Jackson's, you know, one of this, the plays in Vegas. He was dancing with Janet after he passed. You know, he was still rocking with what rocking with MJ. And it feels like to some people, if you want to look at it, that he switched up. Because he was upset, he wanted money. That's cool. The other young man, I forget his name. Same thing, you know. They mentioned this in the show on the first in the case in the early in the nineties. He testified and said Mike never touched him. He didn't do anything in the two thousand and three case, right? But there is a, I guess there's some circumstances to say that you know what he was also looking for money. So you could do that if you want to. And I do think it's it's helpful to kind of provide context. What also is interesting that I found, and this was from Vanity Fair, they had like a 10-point story talking about the facts of that case, of the 2003 case that a lot of people, or of, of Michael Jackson's history when it comes to child pedophilia. And some of the stuff I did not know. And that was crazy when I'm reading it. And not just the documentary, but then... The articles that I've also subsequently read, I'm just thinking, okay, there's no smoking gun, if you will, that says that Michael Jackson had sex with any of these children or he touched any of these children. But there's a lot of inappropriate things that are all, If it doesn't take a long step. It doesn't take a, a, a jump, a leap to kind of put things together. Again, we've, we all should understand an adult should not be sleeping with children in their same bed that's nuts like if that's not your close relative or so a child that you know very well you should not be sleeping with children in your bed we should we shouldn't this isn't really a discussion is it it shouldn't be one of the things i read on the the um the the article that i mentioned earlier is that michael jackson had these sensors on the hallway leading up to his bedroom so anytime someone would walk to his bedroom notes would go off or sounds would go off in his in the room to alert him that people were coming toward the room that doesn't mean that he slept with anybody or that he sexually abused a child but that's that's odd right we could rock with that we could say that's odd and then when you put that to the in addition to him having children sleeping in his bed that's nuts another thing that i found out they had multiple forensic experts. And they saw that there was erotic pornography by Michael Jackson's bed that they found. That doesn't mean anything, right? Pornography is not illegal. 
Michael Jackson's fingerprints were on the magazines or whatever. Again, that's not illegal. That doesn't mean anything. There also were fingerprints of the children on the pornography by Michael Jackson's bed that he had children sleeping in with him. Now, again, if a child goes through a magazine and Michael Jackson's not there, okay, you know what? That's just him being negligent. You know, children, you should not have that around children, especially, you know, you should not have pornography in a position to where children, young children can get to. But that doesn't mean that Michael Jackson slept with them. But again, when you put all of this together, it don't, it don't, it doesn't smell right. It doesn't smell right. It doesn't feel right. We should all agree on that. And for me, for me, that is enough to be like, nah, man, I, I don't feel, I, I can't, I can't do it anymore. And I was the biggest Michael Jackson fan when I was little slim. I loved MJ. But this? Nah. It, do, it doesn't sit right with me. Again, I can't tell you all how to feel about it. I can only tell you how I feel, how it sits with me. And though that documentary left a lot to be desired in terms of evidence, I mean, hell, the one thing that they did have Michael Jackson talking for hours to little children on the phone, faxing them daily, regularly. Come on, bro. Come on. That doesn't mean that that doesn't mean that anything inappropriate happened. But again, with all the context, all the pieces that we now have, when you put it together, it's it just doesn't feel right. And for me, Playing Michael Jackson music doesn't feel right anymore either. Again, man, we had all these people who will tell you why Ben Roethlisberger is evil and why, you know, Chris Brown is nuts and Floyd Mayweather and, and Greg Hardy, and I'm rocking. I, I'm with you on that. We can't live in a society where people are so upset at Floyd Mayweather for always saying, hey, where's the pictures, right? One of the reasons why so many people dislike Floyd, and I believe, and I'm not a fan of Floyd either. I think Floyd is despicable. I don't, I, I believe he definitely has hit women before. But one of the things that people dislike the most about Floyd is that he always says, if I did all these things, show me the pictures, right? One of the reasons why people were so upset with the Greg Hardy or the Ray Rice situation is so many people fell into the, okay, well, if, if I don't have visual proof, it didn't happen, right? So before the elevator video came out and people just like, we just saw Ray Rice kind of pull his his now wife out of the, the elevator, people were like, oh, well, we don't know what happened. I need to see it. Before we saw the, the photographic evidence, of the aftermath of Greg Hardy and, and his victim. People were like, oh, well, you know what? I don't, I didn't see it. And people correctly were like, yo, we have to get away from this whole, I need, if, if it didn't, ha if I don't see visual evidence, it didn't happen. Because that mentality is awful. But yet here we are, some of the same people who correctly 
or vilifying Greg Hardy or Ben Roethlisberger or Floyd Mayweather, when it comes to Michael Jackson, they're like, ah, man, where's the evidence? Where's the proof? Huh? All of it is crazy. All of it is crazy. It's disgusting. It's, it's, it's sick. It's sad. It's disappointing. It's caused a lot of internal, like, man, I used to love Mike. I, I would play Mike for my daughter. I had, talked to, I had to talk to my daughter about not, you know, things that she needs to do to, to be aware of, you know, predators. Because I've had those conversations long before this. And the, these are the type of things as a parent, you're like, yo, it's not like you have one conversation to protect your child. You have to have these conversations over and over again. Because oftentimes, it'll be people that are close who will try to, to use your child. But I had to talk to my daughter specifically about Michael Jackson because I introduced my daughter to Michael Jackson's music and my daughter is a huge Michael Jackson fan. And I'm thinking to myself, man, all of this is crazy. And we talk about, you know, the first quarter I talked about how being a sports fan is nuts. You could just remove the, take the sports part out of it because fandom Obviously short for fanatics, and that's exactly what it is. The Michael Jackson hive is the craziest hive that, that there is. And think about it. We got so many people just will attach themselves to someone who's popular or was entertaining, who can sing or who can dance. We got the beehive. We got the future hive. You know, the Swifties, the barbs. You understand? And it's nuts. Like, people will just, just voluntarily, right, forfeit their independent thinking their independent thought their own individualism and the ability to just kind of sit with all of the evidence that's in front of you sure that the two men who were on the documentary maybe you don't believe them there's reason not to but you can't in one instance say you know what victims change their mind or victims will lie to protect their abusers and then later on in life finally right have the the emotional strength to then put the truth out there. You can't advocate for that when it comes to an athlete or a singer or a movie star or a comedian. And then when it comes to your favorite musician or movie star or athlete, say, act like that, that, that thought, right? That theory doesn't exist. It's, it's wild to me. But being a fan, like we said in the first quarter, the more you think about it, the less sense it makes. Hopefully, it makes a lot of sense for you guys to be a fan of this show. If you disagree with anything I said, if you want to hear my thoughts on anything specific that I may not have touched on, or if you just want to voice your opinion on something, feel free to get in touch with me on the show via email at quarterlyreport at gmail.com, or you can tweet at me at Quarterly Show on Twitter. Also, guys, head on over to iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you listen to this podcast and leave a review. Leave me five stars if you are so inclined. But more important, leave a note. Let me know. Let your friends know. Let the world know why you listen to the Quarterly Report podcast. Those reports are really, really important. And I would thank you very much. Thank you very kindly for leaving me some of those. Again, I want to thank each and every one of you guys for rocking with me for another episode of the Quarterly Report. And we will be back better than ever next week, same time. 
As always, I highlight you guys, man, and thanks for listening to the Quarterly Report.